0: Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10:30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. We're in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, and um, what we need to do just for a little bit before we dive into the text is to point out that Jesus has finished his ministry in the area of Galilee and, and Nazareth in that it, it's, the scholars refer to it <coughs> and you may see it in your Bible as the Galilean ministry. He's leaving there and headed for Jerusalem and the, the rest of the book will be talking about Jesus in the area of, uh, down by the Jordan River, past Jericho, back up to Jerusalem uh, for the bulk of his life before he goes to the cross. I've selected a couple of maps, and I've set a big map in the back so that you can look at it if, you, if it's kind of confused in your head. But if you look at uh, a map of, this, of Israel, <clears throat> you will see at the top there is is Galilee. In the blue over to the right of it is the Sea of Galilee. And on the north tip, if your eyes are good enough, you can see the town of Capernaum. It's actually a combination of two words, Kaphor, which means village in Hebrew, and Nahum is the name of a person. In fact, you have an Old Testament book in the Minor Prophets called Nahum. So he his headquarters was there on the north end of the Sea of Galilee at Capernaum. And then Jesus is making his way toward Jerusalem. There are two routes to Jerusalem. Uh, a straight-through route down through Samaria to Jerusalem is between 90 and 100 miles, according to where you are there in Galilee. The other route is about 120 miles because what it does is go over to the west and down... Uh, following a road, and it's still there down, uh, following the Jordan River down to Jericho, and then from Jericho up to Jerusalem. Jesus probably didn't go that way, because you remember that the Bible teaches about him having a conversation with a woman at the well in Samaria. So th- he probably went this way, which is a straight shot down through there, and uh, and th- and that's. Uh, the Jews needed to learn something. They hated and they just despised the Samaritans. Well, the Samaritans didn't like them either. And so there was a lot of tension there, but Jesus purposely came through Samaria in order to point out to his apostles and to the Jewish people that the gospel is for everybody because the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were some Jewish background, but mostly what happened when the Babylonians and took over the Chaldeans and others, conquered Israel. They took the people out of Samaria and put them somewhere else and brought some people from somewhere else and settled them there. They did that so that there couldn't be verbal conversations among the people in the area so that they couldn't form armies and be a problem. So Jesus now is in approaching Samaria and, uh, and and from Samaria down to Jerusalem. And that's the reason the opening part of the verse there in the 10th chapter says, uh, Jesus then left this place and went into the region of Judea, Jerusalem being the capital of Judea. That's the southernmost of the 12 tribes. And across the Jordan, that's in an area that on a map will say Perea, P-E-R-E-A. And... Uh, and as was the case again crowds of people came to him and was his custom he taught them now you will use in the custom in that day the rabbis were held in such esteem and they still are in Israel that rabbis did not stand to teach they sat and the people stood with the single exception of whenever a a, a, a a rabbi or a teacher same word would stand that meant i have something very important to say so put your ears on and listen to me and so whenever a rabbi would stand people it was the same as yelling attention now as he approached as he approached jerusalem his opponents and by the way his reputation was already well known in judea and perea and jerusalem jericho wherever because the jews had heard about his ministry in galilee and they had sent uh representatives up there to check him out because they were always intimidated by uh, competition and they had already approached him on more than one instance especially the pharisees and so when he gets in jerusalem they don't wait long they tackle him immediately and their, their intention is to, uh, uh, to trip him up. And that's the reason the text will say some Pharisees came and tested him by saying, and you ought to circle that word test because they, this was an effort to, sh- to ask him a question that was so sensitive in that time that if he didn't answer it correctly, they could bring charges against him and see that you see him, you see him. And that's, that's what they were trying to do here. And the question had to do with what we would call today no-fault divorce. Or, as Matthew records it, uh, he has, Matthew's book is almost twice as long as Mark, and so he goes into greater detail. In this question here that the Pharisees ask, Mark just records, or Peter tells him, the question is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? If you read the same text, and by the way, this is important lesson here for us. Anytime you're checking a, a, an issue in the Bible, get a concordance and check them all. Check all of the scriptures on that subject. Don't just cherry pick one that you think already agrees with you. If you go to Matthew and read the same instance, same circumstance, he expands on it by saying this. The Pharisees... Uh, asked the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for anything, for any reason at all? For you see, uh, it, the, the Jews, the women had no rights. We'll talk about that in a minute. What happened here was that uh, uh, if, if the woman, and I'm not exaggerating, this is literally the truth, If a woman burnt the beans, a husband could say, here's a little piece of paper, I'm divorcing you, get out here. And nearly always he had his eye on another girl, but that's the way it worked. And that's the way it works now, it's not that much different. We have what's called no-fault divorce, and that's what they were talking to. But the no-fault could only be applied to the man, a woman could not get a divorce. The only way that she could get a divorce was to ask her husband if he'd give her one. Otherwise, he couldn't. For you see, women in that culture were possessions, not people. A woman, a girl was born into a family under the Roman government that was ruled that whole world in North Africa all the way around to the Near East and up into Europe all the way over to England. The Romans ruled it. And uh, and, and, a, and a man had total authority, life and death authority over his children. If a girl was born into the family, he would keep her in some instances. Some instances he didn't. Some instances the man could say, as soon as the baby was born, throw it out. They literally would throw the baby girls into the garbage. And Christians early on would go get those babies, raise them up. Because uh, Jesus changed all of their thinking about that. The Christian view is totally different from the view of the world. So uh, let's read the rest of it and then we'll pursue this more. They said, Moses... And Jesus asked the question, what did Moses command you? And Jesus always, nearly always, responded to a question with a question. And he said... uh, what did Moses command? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard. and the hardness of the heart in Scripture means this. It means that you're being what my father used to call bullheaded. I have made up my mind, and this is what I think, and you're wasting your time to get me to change it. They, that hardness of heart means you're, as the old timers used to say, sot in your ways. You just didn't change it. And, and uh, so they were people of the world and they adopted the, the, the things of the world and the things of God were set aside and they weren't even going to consider it. But at the beginning, Jesus said, At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And he's quoting here from from Genesis. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. This is a reference to sexual union. So they they were no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And I always include this in a wedding service. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered... Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So Jesus here is talking about a problem that if we're not awfully careful, we get hung up on divorce and we miss his real point. His point here has to do with the plight of women. There were three people in that culture who had absolutely no standing. A woman... Because most men in the Roman Empire, had they, the wife was viewed as a possession. And there was a dowry that he gave to her father and bought her because she was born into that family and she was the possession of her father. And her father only saw her as a means of income for a dowry that, uh, when he sold her to another man for a wife. She was a possession, not a person. And most of the men in the, in the Roman Empire, had, they said, you have a mistress for the enjoyment of life, and you have a wife to raise your kids. And that's just the way it was in that culture. The women really had it tough. The others who had no, no standing were Children. A father literally had life and death privileges over his children just like he did his wife. Children were viewed as, as, again, as possessions until they were old enough, even among the Jews, until they were 13 years old and they went through the process of, of being recognized as adults. Then, when they passed through puberty, they were, they were uh, viewed as adults. And we need to understand that things haven't really changed that much. Especially for the children. My heart goes out to people who have no voice at all. And for many years, women didn't. And children still don't. The whole abortion thing gets under my hide. And and I see it has gotten to the place where a governor of Virginia comes out and says that if in the process of abortion, the baby, a late-term baby, is born alive, it's to be laid aside, and then the parents can decide whether they will let it die or not. They're not viewed as humans. They've been and, and, and if you know if you take the time to check your history, you'll find out that anytime you want to treat somebody as a thing, not a person, you devalue them as a human being. Black people were treated that way in slavery. They were not considered human. Even, even some of the stupid white people said, you know, there was a separate creation where the black man was, was created lower than the white man to be his servant all through life. I addressed that one time in a sermon down in western Kentucky and almost lost my job. So don't get the idea that those thoughts have passed away the other that were the slaves themselves because sixty percent of the roman empire was made up of slaves they were possessions and they were treated with in most cases really tough and and the the determination of of whether people are slaves or free is always determined by the government has never been a determination by the church i can tell you that black people would still be slaves had it not been for strong voices coming from the church during the time of the revolution of the civil war and one of the great voices was a family that lived in cincinnati that ultimately moved to boston who uh, were the leaders in calling for the freedom of all people and elevating everybody to the standard that they were created in the image of god therefore need to be recognized for who they are That's exactly what Jesus was doing here and why he went back to the Old Testament. He was saying that a woman, just like a man, was created by God in his own image and therefore has the same value as a man. They really chaffed under that. They really wanted to kill him from that time on. But that's what Jesus was doing here, and he doesn't get the credit for setting people free that he deserves because it was his voice above all others through the centuries that has said people, created and people are created in the image of God, whether they be born slave or free, whether it be man, woman, or child, and therefore have infinite value in the eyes of God. And if we're going to be godly, they have infinite value in our eyes as well. And so that was what Jesus was wrapped right about. And if we're not awfully careful, we get wrapped up in divorce, and the church has had a... I preached a sermon one time that got me in... Well, I've preached more than one that has got me in a heap of trouble, but one of them that really, uh, where the cheese got a little binding is... is I, And I hadn't prepared to say it, I just said it. And the, and the subject was essentially what is here. And, and uh, I, I simply said, folks, because in the church where I was preaching, we had a, an official board and the, the elders, we had, I think, seven or eight elders and a whole bunch of deacons and trustees and so on and so forth. And that formed what they call the official board. It was formed, and the church has, has copied the American corporation and, and they shouldn't, but they did, and so that's what happened. And I mentioned that that divorcees were, were treated as second-handed citizens. They were welcome to sit in the congregation, put the money in the basket, but they were not allowed to teach. They were not allowed to be a deacon. They were not allowed to be an elder. They were not allowed to do anything. And yet we had elders and deacons who had had, and everybody knew it, mistresses had had, uh, all had had affairs, and since they never went through the process of getting a divorce, they could still hold an office. I saw that as being uh, hypocritical and Pharisaical and said so. You would have thought that I shot somebody's dog because things really got tested for a while. And I think they always said, My dad always said, a hit dog always hollered, and I evidently hit a few dogs with that particular message. But nonetheless, God, if you look in the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, the second chapter, in the 16th verse, it just says these three words. God hates divorce. Now, he doesn't hate the divorcee. He hates what happens as a result of the divorce. Because I have seen with my own eyes on, on hundreds of times through the years, Here's, the, here's a woman that finds out that her husband is cheating on her. That woman will, is so traumatized that she will often use, lose 20 or 30 pounds, can't eat, has a knot in her throat, a knot in her belly, and just absolutely, and, the, and folks, the same thing happens to a man. They lose weight, they can't sleep, they wake up, they go to bed, they'll go to sleep for two or three hours, wake up at two o'clock in the morning with their mind racing 900 miles an hour, and they just are in a, in a horrible, terrible situation. Then you have children who, if there's a remarriage, they don't know they have to call daddy, daddy that's not their daddy, and, mama, and, and they're pulled between who are you going to follow, the dad or the mom, and that goes on. Add in just to infinity. And these broken relationships. We know now. And and are developing evidence to support it. Is one of the reasons a lot of children get into drugs. It has a horrible thing. There was interesting. I don't know whether you like country music or not. I happen to. Because I'm a country boy. If you don't like country music. Why you just yawn and take it easy for a minute. But. A guy, when I was in graduate school at Vanderbilt years ago, there was a little church out on the west side of Nashville. and I don't remember the name of the church. Jim Barton was the preacher. And Alice Kay and I would go over there on Wednesday nights for a prayer meeting because I had a church in Kentucky where I preached on the weekend. I'd go over there because they had a free meal. And when you're in graduate school making $50 a week, free meals are sought out and uh, so that's what and we became friends with Jim and his wife and just across the main highway on a on a street there just straight across from the church building there was a third house up on the left was a uh, there were uh, race cars in the yard all the time I mean nice cars not these fancy things like they have it in Annapolis but you know the rebuilt ones that are got writing and paint all over them and we'd look at that and see who it was and finally Jim said, "You want to meet that guy?" And he said, "Yeah." He said, "He's a nice fella. Go over and talk to him." And uh, so she and I never did do that, but we went over, and and I think I did shake hands with him maybe once because he came out when we were kind of gawking, and uh, and 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 uh, he had had a hard life. I found out later, and he had written a song about his life, but he refused to sing it because he was afraid it would cause his some family problems so he sought out other people ultimately uh, elvis sang this song that he wrote about his life and, and what he did is he said you know early on in life uh, uh the when my mother died that was a hill i had to climb and my father held me responsible for my wife for his wife's death because she died at giving me birth and he said these were hills but when his wife left him, he wrote a song about that and he said, Lord, this time you gave me a mountain, a mountain that I will, may never climb. It's not a hill any longer. Well, let him sing it. His name was Marty Robbins.
1: the desert, my mother died giving me life, despised and disliked by my father, blamed for the loss of his wife. something that I've never done. It's been one hill after another, and I've climbed them, Lord, one by one. But this time... She took my pride and my joy
0: Sometimes poets and songwriters can put in perspective things that are difficult to do, even in a well prepared sermon. And I think that he did that because he showed the pain and the heartache that goes with broken relationships, which is some, it is kind of a death, only in some ways it's worse. Because with death, there's a degree of finality, but divorce, if there are children involved you're back and forth with the kids forever you if you're a divorcee and our church was started here by several who were because i'd always kind of given them hope and encourage them start where you are do the best you can you can't go back and undo what's been done but you can start where you are and build a home as best you can it'll be tougher Than in most cases. But you at least ought to try. And I want to tell you the same thing. If you're a divorcee, God doesn't hate divorcees. He only hates divorce because it it hurts people that He loves. You need to know that that's what Jesus was saying. Now let's move on a little bit. Jesus, on purpose, went from the woman and her heartache and her difficulties under Roman and Jewish law to little children. That's the reason in verse 13 it says, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him to touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and, his hand, and put hands on them and blessed them. So Jesus was teaching his disciples about the nature of the kingdom. And he purposely went to little children who were then seen as possessions as well. Jesus was in the process of setting people free. No wonder he could say on another instance, if you're free in Christ, you're free indeed. Jesus said, he wasn't saying if you have, and Matthew did a good job making that clear. He wasn't saying that you need to have the same faith as a little child. You need to have, he he was saying a little child will trust and follow and love. Somebody let a hound dog in here a while ago. I saw it running around, it's a cute pup, and it belongs to somebody. It's a nice little old hound dog. And uh, uh, some people keep, treat the dogs better than they do the children. And you may think that I'm being harsh when I say this, but if you spend all of your time running your children to ball games, letting them participate in a half a dozen different sports, and don't have time with them at home you're making a serious mistake I know I did it but things have changed things have changed you need more actually it's greater more important now to have home time with your children than ever before Jesus then moved to another instance, and there's one passage here that needs some clarity, so I'll go ahead and read it. He reaches, he he touches an issue that is actually his greatest competitor. Jesus started on his way and ran, and, and a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He was sending him a message to his apostles. You guys still, he said, don't know who I am. You know the commandments Jesus said to the young man. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Notice here, all of these were, are relationship issues. None of them refer to God. Teacher, he said, all of these I've kept from the time I was a boy. Jesus looked on him and loved him. One thing you like, he said, go sell everything you have and go give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At that, the young man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The di- disciples were even more amazed. Why? Because they, like many of us, have always felt, and this comes through bad doctrine, but that's, it's commonly accepted, that anybody who has gained great wealth has been blessed of God. It's been a gift from God. And the disciples were saying, Hey, look, if God is the basis of giving wealth to this young man, why is it being held against him? Jesus answered that question. He said, What's impossible with man is possible with God. But what he was really doing here, folks, is he was dealing with a problem that all of us have. I was raised dirt poor, no use going into that, you wouldn't believe it anyway. Everybody likes to say they're poorer than the other guy was. Well I'm worse off than that one was. But it was a good life even though we didn't have anything. On the farm we had plenty to eat, there was a great old big garden, I never worried about that. But mother and daddy both taught us, said, we want you all to get a good education because they had both gone through the Great Depression, and they said, we want your life to be better than ours. And what they were talking about wasn't a good life based on healthy relationships that were enjoyable. They were talking about having more money. It was that simple. And I took them at their word. I still wake up at four thirty to quarter five every morning turned on turn the channel on forty six and see what the stock market is doing. Because I put a lot of when we sold our house, put a lot of money in the stock market. I bought a whole chunk of Facebook. My Matt's already ratted on me and told me that. I bought it about fifty dollars and at one time it was up to two hundred and twenty. My wife started loving me more every time that thing went up. You know? Women love men with their they're making money, you know. But uh, but I saw that as important. We saw it as important in, that our children would get through college without having any debts. My heart goes out to people today. It's a harder time. Children graduate from college with $50,000, $100,000 worth of debt. They're going to spend the rest of their life paying that off. We were able to get our kids graduated without them owing a penny. And we were helped Andrew do the same thing. And it's a great blessing for that to happen. But I'm telling you, folks, if we, if Alice Kay and I had spent as much effort working on the spiritual lives of our children as we did their financial success, we wouldn't have had near the problems we had in raising our kids. There ought to be a healthy amen. You ought to stand up and cheer because I'm telling you, that's the way it was. We did what we thought was right, but we were not well-informed. We, we grew up with the repercussions of, a, of, a, uh, of that Great Depression that we knew nothing about. Jesus dealt with that, and he said, because this is the biggest problem people have. And why he would say, look, guys, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This financial thing will take care of itself. In Matthew 6, 24 I believe it is he said guys in the kingdom of God you can't serve two masters you'll either hate one and love the other or vice versa and the truth of the matter is most of us if we had to make a choice between financial success and spiritual power spiritual power would come in second kind of like Kentucky did yesterday and I'm still grieving about that Okay, so Jesus saw this struggle for to be financially secure. And, and I've learned this the hard way. I've learned that tithing is, is, a, is a way of proving to yourself that you're no longer bound and a slave to the dollar. But it's not an easy thing to get to. I'll tell you that. Because when you get older... The longing for financial security is, again, one of those really big deals. And you struggle with that all the time. Alice Kay is, is tighter than I am. She's just downright stingy. <laughs> because for some reason or other, women have always struggled with that. They even pick men that they think are going to be, you know, I mean, this is an emotional thing. A lot of studies gone into this. Women have a tendency to, men don't pick women. We just look at them and lust. Women actually pick the men, and, then, and, then we, and they let us think it was our idea, and we get married, but they pick them because they think this particular bird can make it possible for me to make my nest, have my babies, and they'll be okay. And you need to know that that's kind of the way it works. And you know what? That their thinking is a whole lot better than ours because our thinking as men has to do with and they're thinking about babies and success and the family and so on and they're to be credited with better with more with better thought about that than we are jesus then you know he he spends a little bit of time with his disciples and he starts telling them about the nature of the kingdom of god and this is kind of where it ends I don't have time to get to Bartimaeus. But in verse 32, Jesus is telling his disciples, Guys, when you stand up for the kingdom of God, you're going to take heat. And you're going to see that demonstrated because I'm going to take heat. It's going to cost me my life. It says this, that they were on their way up to Jerusalem when Jesus was leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and he will hand them o- and they will hand him over to the Gentiles, meaning the Romans, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him, and three days later he will rise. Those disciples of his were dumber than a box of rocks. James and John and even their mother comes to Jesus after he had told them that and say, when you come into your kingdom, can one of my sons sit on the right and one sit on the left? Because in Matthew it says his mother was there too. Jesus said, guys, you don't know what you're asking. Can you be, drink the cup that I'm going to drink, tr- the cup of suffering and death? Can you, can you be baptized with a baptism of suffering like I'm going to have to? Yeah, we can do it. Because you see, they still had the stupid idea that the kingdom of God was going to be one of political and military might and not of spiritual dynamic. And we make our decisions sometimes based on preconceptions that are just really bad. So Jesus is saying to them, Guys, you don't know what you're asking because in the kingdom of God, You become something special, not because, like the Gentiles, you lorded over people by sitting on a throne. But he would be chief among men, will become servant of all. There's no one, and he was purposely saying, of all, because no one should be viewed as beneath you. We have a tendency sometimes to drive by these guys downtown holding their signs. And think they're beneath us. I got a sneaking suspicion that Jesus might sit down and talk to them once in a while. I don't know that he'd give them any money to help them buy drugs or whatever the heck they drink. Because I've never given them money. I'll take them to McDonald's. I'm not going to take them to the river, but I'll take them to McDonald's. and, and, And feed them. But I got a sneaking suspicion that Jesus would have enough that would take the time to show that even in their plight, they're human beings and important in the eyes of God. No one should be viewed as beneath us. No one. And when we finally get to the place where God is number one in our life and we seek his kingdom. And we see how he blesses us with things that we need to survive food and clothing and a house to live in and we learn to trust him like little children trust their parents the world will be better off and the church will become a power in the community where we live and that's really what we want anyway isn't it lord i thank you for blessing us and i thank you that you've given us some real straight talk in your word i pray that you will bless us as a congregation Teach us to love one another and to serve each other and to encourage each other. When somebody's going through a horrible divorce, instead of isolating, Lord, give us the courage to go to them and give them a hand and lift them up and encourage them. And yes, Lord, even welcoming them here with the love of Jesus. Help us, O Lord, to view people the way you view them and even view herself that way too. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these people who've been gracious enough to listen. Go with us now through the power of the Holy Spirit and let us serve you well, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.